So yeah, we're covering only one verse today. Like Craig said, we were planning on covering five verses, 34 to 38. But uh, like he said, you know, as, as soon as I got done with this first verse, you know, notes and all that stuff, I said, you know what, we're going to be there all day if I don't just end it right here. So, uh, so yeah, we're covering one verse today. And actually, this is a great verse for us to cover today because we're going to be taking a few weeks off of Mark uh, over the next few weeks. Next week, of course, we have Matt Davis coming in to, to talk about a global call to missions, a biblical global call to missions. Uh, the week after that, we've got a youth group who's going to be staying here over the weekend. And they're, uh, so they're going to be with us on April 1st day, April Fool's Day, which uh, I tend to refer to as Atheist Day, National Atheist Day. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about um, atheism to an extent. And the week after that, we've got Easter. So this is actually a great verse for us to, uh, to stop at and, and take a little pause for a few weeks because this is really what it's all about. This is really what Christianity is all about. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is, this is the, the gist of what our faith is all about. Now, over the last uh, eight years, I have lived in a total of four states, Nevada, North Carolina, Arkansas, and Washington. And you'd think that as many times as we've moved, um, that we wouldn't have a bunch of stuff that we just hauled around with us. Uh, You'd think that we'd be really good at just kind of picking up the essentials, you know, the bare minimum things and just going. Uh, And what I've discovered over the years is I'm just not that smart. Um, (laughs) My wife knows exactly where I'm going with this. You know, we've moved from the West Coast to the East Coast to the Midwest to back to the to the west coast and all this while i've had this this box of things this box that kind of looks like a treasure chest that i've hauled around from place to place with me not that i ever open it not that i've opened it in years but i've carried it around with me anyway uh and it's not full of useful stuff or anything uh no this was full of all kinds of stuff that i've collected and picked up over the course of my lifetime. It's where I put my old Star Wars toys from when I was like five years old. Yeah, there were some original Star Wars toys uh, in there, the old ones. Um, It's where I've kept awards that I received like in in high school and in college. Uh, It's where I kept a bunch of knickknacks that had maybe had some kind of significance to me at some point in my life. But as I was going through these things somewhat recently, uh, the various purposes or the significance of these things, of about half of them at least, was totally lost. I, I'd pull something out and be like, what is this thing? Why am I holding on to this thing? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I have no idea. You know, I'm just sitting there like, wow, what, what is this thing? I, I don't even know what it is. I mean, there was a Batman figurine in there. I've never collected Batman. I, I've never had that much interest in Batman. What was that doing in there? I, I have no idea. I don't remember anyone ever giving it to me. I don't remember ever getting it myself. So what was it in there for? Honestly, like so many things that were in this box, I had no idea why I was holding on to it. But really, I think that the reason I've been hauling this around with me all these years is because it's kind of like a piece of my identity. These things represent kind of a piece of my identity. Uh, Or maybe they represented a little bit how I perceived myself through various stages in life. Thankfully, I don't remember all that stuff, not all of it anyway. So I finally decided that uh, I needed to start tossing things out that had been saved for years in there that I I 
didn't need, that I didn't want, or that I didn't, you know, remember the significance for. And Christina, she had been telling me for years to, uh, to go through it and empty it out, because it's just this stupid big box. Um, but she would have had better luck trying to pull my teeth out, or, or who knows what, because I, I just obstinately refused. You know, that was my box. I'm not going to get rid of my box. And when I opened it up and actually started evaluating things, of course, uh, I had a nice dish of humble pie to, to wash that one down with, a, a look from my wife that only a wife can give you that says, I told you so. I, I love you, but I, but I told you so. Now, Christina's mom had actually done uh, something similar. She'd collected all these things and held on to them because they represented various memories uh, of things in her life. And then she watched this movie, this Robert De Niro movie that I, I, I've never seen. It's called The Mission. And in this movie, which, which I haven't seen, uh, there was something that really moved Christina's mom. Uh, and that was the fact that one of the characters was slowed down in carrying out the mission of bringing Christianity to these people because he had too much stuff. Because he was holding on to all this stuff and it prevented him from getting places as quickly as he needed to get. And so when he got rid of the stuff, he was finally able to carry out the mission as effectively as he possibly could. And Christina's mom watched this, and she saw herself there uh, with all this stuff. And so she immediately started getting rid of all of her things. And uh, that was just a, a, year and a year and a half ago, maybe. And so obviously I wasn't too far behind her. I whittled my stuff down to maybe 5% of what was originally in there. But the thing is, all of us, we might not have a literal physical box of stuff, but we all carry around these emotional boxes of things. You know what I'm talking about? It's not full of physical, material things, but we all carry around these boxes that are filled with things like a short temper or a prideful attitude, ego, a desire for control, covetousness, envy, greed, selfishness, all those things, and that's just the start of the list. And we all carry around this box of things that represent who we used to be, and we're not now. We all have baggage of some sort. And I may not know what yours is, at least not all of it, except Christina's. I'm, I'm just kidding. But I'm sure that some of these things probably ring a bell for us as I list these things off. I'm sure that you have looked inside your box. You remember what's in there. You know what's in there. And you recognize some of those things. Now hold on to that thought because we're going to be talking about that today. But guess who else had some baggage? Lots of baggage. The disciples. The disciples had tons of baggage. From the beginning, when Jesus called them each individually to follow him, he's been demonstrating his authority, and we've seen that the only proper response is obedience. That's been a big theme in the book of Mark, but the, the disciples have struggled with this obedience that is required of them because their baggage included a lot of the things that we've just named and those things were anchoring them to their previous selves before Jesus they were holding them back from being obedient and they were keeping the disciples hard-hearted for the first half of the book of mark the disciples are extremely hard-hearted spiritually blind they personally witnessed you know one miracle after another and they're sitting there being taught by Jesus all the time and Yet they spent the first half of the book in complete spiritual blindness. They weren't getting it. It wasn't making any sense to them. And so finally, what we saw last time is that Jesus went and opened the eyes of this blind man in two, two phases. The first time, he didn't see so clearly. The second time, he did. 
But we also saw, as that happened, we also saw the spiritual eyes of the disciples be opened. The physical eyes of the blind man were opened. The spiritual eyes of the disciples were opened. They started to see beyond the here and now. And, they, uh, and that allowed Peter to speak from the, uh, for the group, declaring that Jesus was the Christ. Jesus was the Messiah, the one who had been promised since Genesis chapter 3, when the relationship between God and humanity was separated by humanity's evil actions, actions that are contrary to God's plans. And so God said, as he was sending them out of Eden, I'll send someone who will restore things between you and me. I'll send someone. And the disciples finally figured out, that's who Jesus is. This is the guy. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. And so in response to Peter's confession, Jesus basically started over from the beginning with these guys, telling them plainly what his purpose is, things that he'd touched on throughout his ministry up to that point. But they just hadn't put it all together. And so he put it all together for them, telling them plainly what his purpose was. And that, of course, involved his death and his triumphant resurrection. And all of a sudden, here comes that baggage again as Peter takes it upon himself to say, "Uh uh-uh, and he rebukes Jesus, right? See, Peter, he's trying to move forward. He's had, he's had a, a clear, like a, he's opened his eyes, but he hasn't seen quite clearly. He's still seeing things kind of fuzzy. He saw, he saw enough to know that Jesus was the Messiah, but he's still struggling. He's still got this proverbial box of stuff that he's hauling around, and one of the things that he's having a tough time letting go of is pride, his ego. See, Jesus has just revealed the will of God, and Peter's basically said, nuh-uh, that's, that's your will, but that's, that's not my will. That's not going to happen on my watch. See, in Peter's eyes, he was singing these songs. It was all about Peter. That, that's how it was in Peter's worldview. It's really still all about Peter. Now, we closed our last lesson with Jesus, of course, rebuking Peter right back, making note of the fact that Peter was right back to thinking of things through the flesh, seeing things from a human perspective rather than through God's perspective. He was holding on to man's ways, and it prevented him from seeing things God's ways. So here they are in Caesarea Philippi, a pagan area, largely pagan area, and they've traveled there from Bethsaida. And as we're about to see, apparently they had picked up quite a few uh, friends, followers along the way. Uh, Remember, Peter's just been rebuked for being self-centered, And that's the context that we're going to enter into for our passage today, right on the heels of him rebuking Jesus and Jesus rebuking him right back. We read in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, and he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, this might have been something of a shock to these people. Because we don't know how long, I mean, it, it's, been, it's been quite a walk. It's a long walk from Bethsaida to Caesarea Philippi. But we don't know how long these people have been with them, at least a little bit. And all of a sudden, Jesus draws what would probably be perceived as a line in the sand, telling them that if they want to come after him, if they want to follow in his footsteps, they have to do three things, three distinct things. So really, what Jesus gives here is a list of discipleship requirements. This is what Christianity is all about. You have to do these three things. 
if you want to experience what Christianity is really all about. So the first thing that they have to do if they want to come after Jesus, the first step is to deny themselves. Now, the act of denying a person relates to personal loyalty. It's, it, you're, you're loyal to your friends. You, you affirm them. You don't deny them. Uh, Peter vowed that he would never deny Jesus on the night of Jesus' betrayal. And yet, Peter chose disloyalty to Jesus. Of course, we know that the baggage from his proverbial box of stuff would lead him to deny Jesus that night. And so what we should see here is that Peter ended up doing, what Peter ended up doing to Jesus on that night, the night that Jesus was betrayed, is exactly what Jesus is saying, you have to do to yourself if you're going to come after Jesus, if you're going to walk in his footsteps, if you're going to follow Jesus. Now let me just be the first one to say, uh, that's not easy. Anybody think that's easy? Denying yourself? Putting yourself second place? Man, forget it. That's, that's really, really hard. And in fact, it's something that's so contrary to our nature in every way imaginable. It's hard for us to even fathom what that really exactly looks like when it's perfectly played out. I mean, it's, it's something we can say, you know, I, I'll deny myself. Uh, sure, we, we can say it, but to put it into practice, whew, that's hard. That's really hard. I mean, it's easy to say, I follow Jesus. And that's, by the way, the same thing as saying I'm a Christian, following Jesus. And sometimes we even maybe convince ourselves, we're doing it. We've, we've got it down pat. I, I'm guilty of that. I, I've, I've been there before where I've, I'm saying, man, I'm, I'm doing pretty good at denying myself right there. Back to square one, right? But the reality of it is that we struggle with this. We struggle with denying ourselves. And maybe that's because our society teaches us from day one that we are supposed to be looking out for number one. Who's number one, baby? You are. That's our world. That's what we're taught. We're supposed to keep up with the Joneses. Or better yet, do better than the Joneses. You can do that. I used to work at a bank. We had a sign that said that right before the housing bubble burst. No kidding. So we take that selfish, egotistical, self-centered attitude and we put it into the box of things that define us. And when we come to Jesus to receive the forgiveness that only He can give, we continue carrying this proverbial box of stuff around with us. It comes with us. They're habits. It's a worldview. It's something that we need to let go of, but we're holding on to it. We've been thinking since the day we were born that it's all about us. We're number one. But Jesus is saying here, it's not about you. It's not about you. You have to deny yourself. You see, following Jesus means being fully committed to Him. Fully committed to Him. And it means being surrendered completely to His will. That's why we have to deny ourselves, because we've got a will, and he's got a will. Well, something's got to give. So if you're going to come after Jesus, you have to be willing to say, okay, Jesus, lead the way. Why? Because he's God. He owns it all. Whether we want to acknowledge that or not, it's all his. Everything that we have is his. And, and yet we're, we're taught. We come, we come to Jesus, and we, we still have this, this feeling of entitlement that we've always had. We are entitled 
to make decisions, to have control, to look out for number one. And so we hold on to the things that we have with a clenched fist because that's what the world does. That's what you're taught to do. This is mine. This is mine, so I'm going to hold it like this. And we hold the things that God gives us with a clenched fist too. When God's called us to hold what we have with an open hand because it's his. That means our money. Look out, pastor just said money. Our time, our homes, our cars, our credit cards, everything that we have, it's all His. It means every resource that we have at our disposal is His. It's all there because God has put it in our hands. But really, it's, it, it all rightfully belongs to Him. It is all His. And if we don't see things that way, and that's a struggle, but if we don't see things that way, we're really going to struggle in following Jesus. See, it's, it's really hard to let go of our selfish desires and the things that make us feel secure. You know what makes our, our, the world feel secure? Stuff that they can't take with them after they die. Those are the things that make people feel secure. And we're taught to, make, to find security in those things too. And it's hard to let go of those things that make us feel secure. But God wants to be the greatest desire that we have, and he wants to be the greatest source of our security. And for that to happen, for us to see things that way, we have to deny ourselves. Our loyalty can't belong to ourselves first and foremost. And that's the first step in following Jesus, denying yourself. Jesus is basically saying, open up that box, take the ego out, take the self-centeredness, leave it behind, and replace it with a God-centered attitude. Because that box is mine. That's what Jesus is saying here. And this is something that should have an impact on every single aspect of our lives. Before we came to Jesus, our lives, every aspect of our lives, was tainted by sin. A desire to do things our way instead of God's way. And that's just a fancy way of saying we came to Him as sinners. And every aspect of our existence was tainted by sin. If we're going to be serious about being a Christian, about following Jesus, it means that we need to see every aspect of our lives belonging to Him. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the one we're following. It's about Him. So every aspect of your life should be impacted if you're serious about following Him. Before, every aspect was tainted by sin. Now, every aspect should be seen as cleansed by Jesus. Every aspect. Everything we have. And there's an implication here. A kind of scary implication. And that's that if every aspect of your life hasn't been impacted or isn't in the process of being impacted you're probably not as serious about being a disciple of Jesus as you might want to think. Here's the reason that this is so important. It really reveals whether a person is serious about following Jesus or not. It really shows whether a person is serious about being a disciple, a Christian. If you understand who Jesus is and you want to be a follower of His, you want to be a disciple of His, you must become obedient to Him by acting on the understanding that it is not about you. Now that is a horse pill to swallow. You should see Caleb try to swallow like an Advil. 
He's like, oh man, that, that thing's huge. No, <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's really how he is. It's a horse pill to swallow this, I understand. But if you can get that one down, the other steps in the discipleship process will become a lot easier. Charles Stanley puts it this way. He says, obey God and leave the consequences to Him. Obey God and leave the consequences to Him. Will there be consequences for following Jesus? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) There will be consequences. The world won't respect you the way that they would if you were looking out for number one. It might cost you friends. Your neighbors might not like you. Yeah, there are consequences. But obey God and leave the consequences to Him. You can only obey God by denying yourself. That's the fact. You can only obey God by denying yourself. Your loyalty must belong to Jesus first rather than to yourself. He's first. You are second. And that is a distant second at best. Now, the reason that this is so difficult is because, of course, we're taught to value things like independence and personal sovereignty. And when I say personal sovereignty, I'm talking about the fact that we like to be in charge of things. We like to plan things out and do things exactly according to the way we want to do things. We like to make decisions for ourselves based on our own interests, right? But if we're going to be serious about being a Christian, following Jesus, discipleship, we have to learn to think differently. To make decisions, not based on our interests, but based on the interests of God. Based on the interests of the kingdom that He came to establish rather than ourselves. It means that everything that we do should flow from a heart that says, Jesus, I just I want to be obedient to You. There's, there's going to be times when we stumble, of course. There are going to be times when we don't do that, and there's grace to cover that. But that's the type of heart that Jesus wants to build in us. A heart that longs for obedience, that longs for it. That's the first step, where we turn away from selfishness and egotistical ambition and acknowledge it's not about us. And it's great to have intellectual knowledge of that. We can say it, but it has to play out in our lives at some point. It has to be reflected in our actions. That's step number one. Deny yourself. Step number two is that you must take up your cross. Now, the people who were around as he said this, the the multitudes who were right there listening, I would think that they would have been somewhat confused or perplexed by this statement as they looked around and wondered, hey, who's carrying a cross around here? I'm not carrying a cross. What's he talking about? I, I don't even have a cross to carry. Make no mistake about it, however, the people there did know what it meant to carry a cross. It meant that you were about to die. You were on your death march, dead man walking. That's the only reason that anyone would ever be seen carrying a cross, is somebody's about to die. And the reason that they were going to die was that they'd done something terribly wrong, right? They they had uh, committed some type of... Uh, sin or some type of crime, some type of offense. And so it was a form of capital punishment for them. It was, it was death. So what does Jesus mean when he says you must take up your cross? Well, a lot of people would tell you that, well, you know, it just means enduring hardships and suffering. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and, oh man, I'm, I'm taking up my cross. 
Well, you know, everyone endures suffering and hardship to an extent at one point or another in their lives, but not everyone is taking up their cross. So it's got to mean something more than just bearing with hardships and suffering. Putting up with your dog regularly going to the bathroom on the carpet when he's not supposed to is not taking up your cross. That's not what Jesus had in mind here. You see, the person who took up a cross as a form of capital punishment would have to carry it right through the middle of town, right in front of everyone. And the townspeople would come out, and it was almost like a, like a, a party for them. Uh, they'd celebrate that somebody was about to die, and so they'd mock the person, they'd insult them, they'd spit at them. At, you know, the, this person who was carrying the cross, they'd do whatever it took to make that person pay for whatever their crime was. And so when Jesus said that you must take up your cross, he was saying that if you want to follow him, if you want to be like him, if you want to be a disciple, you have to become humble. You have to do it humbly because you should expect that the world is not going to think too highly of you. See, the world respects people who are proud, not humble, proud, independent, self-sufficient, maybe even arrogant, Not that anybody likes somebody who's arrogant, but they do respect people who are arrogant. But if you want to follow Jesus, you have to be willing to be the exact opposite of all those things that the world respects. Listen, if you you haven't gone through step one, which is denying yourself, you definitely aren't going to make it through this step either, taking up your cross. You must deny yourself if you're going to take up your cross. If your world is still about you because you've refused to deny yourself, then of course you're not going to enjoy a situation that chops away your pride like taking up your cross does. Do you get offended easily? Do people make you mad over you know, little things? Does your blood boil when somebody cuts you off in traffic and gives you a nice little hand gesture to accompany it? Does that stuff get under your skin? Do you want to retaliate? Is there some kind of urge in there that that tells you, yeah, you you should retaliate? Does it bring you to the end of your rope when your neighbor's out mowing his lawn on your day off at the crack of dawn and you were planning on sleeping in? I've I've had neighbors who did that. Uh, Yeah, that's all stuff that gets under our skin and makes us feel offended because how dare they impose on my life? How dare they interfere with anything in my life? And these are just minor, subtle forms of the way that the cross is working to change our lives. Because if the world is all about us, then of course we get upset about all those things. Of course we do. If the world's all about us, we don't like people impeding and interfering in our lives. But if the world is all about Jesus the way that it should be, if we're seeing things through a kingdom-centered lens rather than a self-centered lens, it breaks our hearts to see lost people who are so caught up in themselves, in material things, in pride, ego, all those things. You see how contrary all of this is to our nature? This is totally contrary to everything that we naturally do. But what we need to understand is that our old nature is dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, 
so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. See, if you've denied yourself and you've taken up your cross, it means that your old nature, the one that you were born with, the selfish, egotistical one, was crucified right there with Jesus. That's what Paul's saying there. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. You were there if you belonged to Jesus. Your old nature was put on him if you belong to Jesus. So you don't have to sin. That's what that means. You don't have to sin. You're freed from sin. You have a choice. Before, you had to sin. You didn't have a choice. Now you have a choice because your body of sin was put to death. Before coming to Jesus, sin owned you. It was your master. But if you've denied yourself and taken up your cross, you have a new master and his name is Jesus. If your old nature was crucified with Jesus, you are freed from sin. But it means taking up your cross. You have a choice. You can choose to sin. Sure, it happens. It'll look different in different people's lives, too, what it means to take up your cross. But the goal, the outcome, is always to produce the type of humility that embraces selflessness. So the first step in the discipleship process is denying yourself. The second step is taking up your cross. The third step is to follow Jesus. Now keep in mind here, Jesus said, didn't say that if you want to follow me, you have to do these things. You, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. No, he's not repeating himself. He said, if you want to come after me. So this is something totally different. This is not the same as the overall process, although it's similar to the overall process. This is a separate step in and of itself. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must follow me. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it involves the same obedience that's required in denying yourself, and it involves the humility that we have to kind of learn to embrace when we take up our cross, but it means doing these things on a moment-by-moment basis, putting the old self away, putting on the new self, putting on Jesus, our new nature in Jesus. It means that when you're tempted to go one way and Jesus goes the other way, you yield to Him. Even if you really, really, really want to go your own way, you follow Jesus. It means trusting Him. This is what it means. It means trusting Him more than you even trust yourself. It means walking the same road of humility, selflessness, self-sacrifice, and service that Jesus walked. Before Jesus started a new work in us, we walked in disobedience. That's what we followed. We, we followed ourselves. Disobedient. If he went left, we went right. If he went north, we went south. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we have to be obedient to him. If he goes right, we'll go right. Because we trust him more than ourselves means being obedient to him. And that's a theme, like I said, this is a theme that Mark has been developing since chapter 1. And for almost eight full chapters, the disciples haven't caught on. They've really struggled with all of this. Why? Because their hearts were so hardened by all that stuff that they've been lugging around in their proverbial boxes. All the stuff from their old lives before Jesus was slowing them down. It was anchoring them and keeping them spiritually blinded. But now they've been digging through that proverbial stuff. Jesus has opened up the box. 
And they realized that they were holding on to some things that were holding them back from the mission. Things that were preventing them from moving forward the way that they needed to. Things like pridefulness. And in that moment where they realized that Jesus needed them to let go of those things, they did for one second. And they opened up their eyes and they realized who Jesus is. You see, obedience to Jesus belongs in the box. And obedience to Jesus can't coexist in that box that holds pride and selfishness. It just can't. Those two things can't coexist. There isn't enough room. You have to make a choice every single day, every minute, every second to replace those things with obedience to Jesus. If we're talking about progressing spiritually, moving forward in our walk with Jesus, obedience is going to be the lighter load in the long run. It might seem really hard at first. It might seem really heavy like a piece of lead. But in the long run, it's going to be a lot lighter. It's going to be an easier load to move forward with. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying that this is easy. Nobody said that this was going to be easy. We miss the mark on all three things all the time, every day. We miss the, we miss the mark. That's what sin is. We, we, we fall short of what God wants us to do. And of course, there's grace to fill in the gaps there. Hallelujah, there's grace. He forgives us. But this is really where the rubber hits the road. This is it. This is what it's all about. What's in your box of stuff today? What have you been hauling around all week? What are you going to haul around this coming week? Are you following him? Are you filling your box with obedience? Because that's really what being a Christian is all about. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. Of course, Jesus isn't saying that you have to be perfect to follow him. Guess what? If you had to be perfect to follow him, there would be nobody following him. Nobody. Nobody. Not one person. What he's saying, though, is that if you're committed to following him, you have to be committed to these three things. This has to become your lifestyle. This has to replace all the junk that you came to Jesus with. Yeah, we'll mess up. There's grace. No, you can't do any of these things, not one of these three things, if you're relying on yourself. You have to be relying on the power and the presence and the leading and the convictions of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's what being a Christian is really all about. Becoming more and more like Jesus in our character, in our thinking, in our actions, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's his role. That's the Holy Spirit's role, his job, if you will, in the life of the Christian. His job is to help us work on emptying out the box of stuff, the junk, so that we can move forward with the mission of God. His job, the Holy Spirit's job, is to help us not only learn what this principle is, what these principles are, but how to live them out. Learning that it's not about you. It's not about me. Because we don't belong to ourselves. We've been forgiven, bought, and paid for. We don't belong to ourselves. One night this past week, something funny happened. You know, we've been living in the the house for a month or a year and two months yeah, a month. We have been living in there a month. 14 of them, to be exact. Um, 
Yeah, so this, uh, so this is the first time this has happened. I went into the kitchen one night, and it, it was dark. All the, all the lights were turned off. And so I, I hit the light switch uh, in the kitchen, and uh, something kind of funny happened. Nothing. Nothing happened, um, which wasn't funny to me at all back then because uh, the lights aren't coming on, and you guys know that's you know an older house, a little bit older house. The fuse box, the breakers are all really, really old-fashioned. And ever since we moved into the house, uh, I've dreaded ever blowing a fuse <laughs> um, because I, I wouldn't know how to deal with it. I, I, I don't know. Uh, and that's what's going through my mind at the time. So it, it's, yeah, there's no power. It's just staying dark in there. And so I called out to Christina and I said something like, uh-oh, um, I think we blew a fuse or something. There's no light coming on in here. There's no power and she told me to go into the dining room and check the other light switch that turns the lights on in the kitchen. And what had happened is that this other switch uh, had been stuck in a half-on, half-off position. <laughs> and the result was that there was no power that was going to the kitchen. And because there was no power, there was no light. You know why I think Christians struggle with obedience? And I, I'm talking about myself here, too. We all struggle with obedience. You know why? When we find ourselves being disobedient, failing to deny ourselves, not taking up our cross, doing things our way, being number one in our lives, it's because we've got ourselves in a half-on, half-off position. And the result is no power. Because there's no power, there's no light. So I'm sitting there I'm saying, that's me. I, I can work that into my sermon this weekend, I bet you. That's me. So when we do that, when we put ourselves in a half-on, half-off position, we basically put the Holy Spirit on hold and we stop following his teaching until maybe the next, next crisis hits. Jesus takes this stuff seriously. Why do you think he said, you're not warm, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, and so you make me puke, is basically what he says. Just spit it out of my mouth because we're lukewarm. That's where disobedience flows from. Following Jesus. That is what it means to be a Christian. It means doing things that are contrary to our instincts. Things like love your enemy. Man, love your enemy? That one's really hard because if you loved your enemy, he wouldn't be your enemy. I mean, honestly, does, does that come naturally or easily to anybody? My hand doesn't go up on that one. Of course it doesn't. Otherwise, they wouldn't be your enemy. And it won't come naturally for us either if we're not surrendered in obedience to Jesus. Or how about forgive people who sin against you? Forgive people who offend you? Man, totally contrary to human nature. But what we need to understand is that we can't do any of these things if we are not surrendered to His will instead of our own. See, if you're holding on to these things from your old life and your life is all about you, of course you won't do these kinds of things that Jesus commanded in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's not about you. It's not about me. See, Jesus is really issuing a challenge here. Are you serious about following him? Are you serious about being discipled? Then obedience will flow out of your life. It will. You might not feel like denying yourself or taking up your cross or uh, following him on some days, but you'll do it anyway because it's something that you're committed to. 
It's something that you just do because it's a lifestyle. It's a part of who you are. I mean, there are days uh, when I, with running, for example, when I'm like, man, I, I don't feel like going out and running. It's cold outside. Nah, I'll, I'll just, I'd rather just stay in. Uh, you know, I've got other things that I could be doing. Or you know, I'll just say, you know, I just don't have the energy today. But here's the thing. I'm committed to running this marathon in June. And so I do it anyway. I get out and get my exercise in anyway, whether I feel like it or not. And following Jesus is the same thing. You probably won't always feel like doing it. If you do, let me know, man. You're special. The challenge is to commit and to demonstrate that commitment to discipleship through the practice of faithful obedience. And the challenge was sobering to the, all these people. It was offensive to all these people who'd been following Jesus. John tells us that it was at this point that everybody just kind of said, huh, that's interesting. Let's go home. He said, I don't want any of that. It was offensive to these people. Take up my cross? Deny myself? So that I can follow him? Why? They lost interest. Jesus drew this line in the sand, and they didn't dare cross it. Nobody said that it would be easy, but let's give, some, let's give Jesus some credit here. He didn't say that it would be easy. He's really being upfront about what it means to be a disciple, to be a Christian. But this is the way that Jesus breaks us and heals us. This is how he does it. This is how he works in us and works through us. And while it won't always be easy, it does get easier the more committed we are to it. And it's only on this road of following Jesus, coming after Jesus, that his joy in us will be made full. The question is this, what is in your box of stuff that needs to be replaced by obedience and grace? What's in there that's holding you back from growing in your walk with him, from moving forward in your faith? Stop lugging that stuff around. It isn't you anymore. It doesn't represent you anymore. And it doesn't matter where it came from, the bitterness that you might find in there. Man, it doesn't matter what the situation was that caused it to be in there. Get it out of there. Get it out of there. Take a look inside. Any ego in there? It's time to take those things out because you can't move forward effectively with those in there. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. I want to close with this, this thought. The disciples, since the beginning, had been spiritually blind. Suddenly they, they, they see a little bit. They get a glimpse of, of the truth about who Jesus is. And all of a sudden they, they go blind again, but Jesus is starting back at square one. We're right back to the same lessons that we were learning at the beginning of the book. Obedience. He's starting all over with them. This is, this is what it's all about. And here's, it's the same principle that we learned, uh, what, in our third or fourth message on this, uh, in this series. The things that we value will be reflected in the actions that we make. The things that we value will be reflected in the decisions that we make. Remember, Jesus healed the blind man in two phases. <coughs> The second phase healed him completely, and the disciples are honestly in the middle of that second phase, the second touch. 
That's the second touch that we need to, where we're learning to value the right things. But put these three things at the top of your list. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus in obedience. Let's pray. God, we just want to be honest and vulnerable with you and confess to you that there's so much junk in our lives that we fall short and sometimes we even get plagued by guilt because we know we're not supposed to be holding on to these things. And so, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would deal with us gently but quickly in emptying out this junk that we've held on to. Teach us to be obedient to you. Teach us to not just know this stuff intellectually, that it wouldn't just be head knowledge, Lord, but that it would be transforming in our lives. We know that we belong to you. You own it all. It is all about you, Jesus. Teach us to live in light of that principle. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper.